So uh, the title of my message today is Christians and Civil Government. And it's a little different um, topic, but um, yeah, let's uh, dive into it. Um, so Election Day is fast approaching, and um, I have never witnessed politics being this fierce and this crazy. Um, even uh, this, past, this past Friday, actually, this week, only a couple days ago, um, I was handed this um, letter uh, from the KM, uh, a letter that was sent to us. Um, it's from R Richmond, and didn't really uh, have the, the address, but um, no name. So I opened it up, actually it says, attention pastor, right? And basically the letter says, pastor, this election is so important. Please lead your congregation to pray and um, you know, make sure that, uh, that your congregation would vote you know, with much prayer. And then he also, you know, this was, there was a, you know, like a, basically how, what's, what position that each party stands on certain issues, such as same-sex marriage, abortion, legalized mar uh, marijuana, taxes, freedom of speech, school prayer, and whatnot. Merry Christmas, I don't know what that means. Um, and so it, basically asking the pastors, I don't know how they even got our address, it just says, pray for America 2020 team at the end of the letter and asking the pastor, pastors to lead the congregation to you know, convey you know, and just how they should vote. Maybe it, it, they come every four years because I wasn't here for four years, so I don't know. But I have never in my life received a letter like this asking to you know, somehow sway or influence the vote in certain ways. I've never done this. You know, even not too long ago, at least in my circle, the people that, I, that, that I've been associated with, we hardly ever talked about politics. You know, the word origin, politics is uh, politeo, and it, mean, uh, it means to live as a citizen. And um, the same people that I've known, now they cry out, you know, the future of, uh, future of our democracy and the soul of our nation hangs in the balance. You gotta get out and vote, right? Which is fine. But it's just a feverish pitch now, right? I have a group of friends that I've been friends with for almost 30 years. And over the 30 years, we rarely ever talked about politics, right? We talk about everything else, family, our faith, because you know, a couple of them are in ministry. Um, but this year, there was a tense moment when one of the guys, somehow the topic you know, went into politics. So one of the guys says something, and another guy in, in our circle of friends, he got really upset at him. I mean, they were, we, we were pretty good, close friends, you know. We gathered together for everybody's, you know, our birthdays. We gathered together every time, and we have a good time, you know, fellowship. But man, they were so unexpected that one of the guys who had an opposing view about politics, so he got really upset. We were like, whoa, just calm down, right? Let's just call it here, right? And so we're like, let's not ever talk about politics, right? It's just, it, it got to a point where, like, 
there is going to be a fracture in our friendship over the views. Wearing a mask, getting a stimulus check, or anything these days, has, they have been just politicized, and the people on both sides of the aisle are busy attacking the other side. And in today's political rip current, how are we to view the civil government as Christians? Do we just turn a blind eye as if they don't, uh, this thing doesn't matter one bit? Or should we get involved in, uh, involved in such, such way that there will be like political advocacy as Christians? Canvas or participate in political rallies? It's a touch subject. And there's a wide spectrum of Christian views on this. So I know I'm about to walk into a minefield. And actually, as I was you know, thinking about this, why am I even preparing a message on this? Right? And, but you know, I just still, I want us to consider what the scripture teaches us on this matter, about even just how we view the civil government, our relation to it. We are called to be in the world but not of the world. We don't truly belong here. We are our true, uh, we are the heavenly citizens. Our true citizenship is in heaven, right? That's our first and foremost uh, identity, that we are our king. And our Lord is Jesus Christ, God. That's it. But at the same time, in reality, we also live in this nation, so we do have citizenship. So how are we to relate to the government? We just cannot simply remove ourselves from the rest of the world, right? And simply have our kumbaya, right? We just can't be like, just remove our, go, go, go to a some remote place, have a, you know, just join a monastery or something and spend the rest of our lives there. Even the Amish people, right? They have outside contact, even with their beliefs and all those things. You know, actually, a few years ago, our family uh, actually booked a, a, they had an Amish bed and breakfast. So we actually stayed over at one of their places. But, you know, actually, they had a separate cottage where they had electricity because, you know, they don't believe in that. Um, so at least the place that we stayed had electricity. So even the Amish people, right, as separatists as they are, and still they have outside in, uh, contact. So then what do we do? What do we need to understand about how to view the civil government and how are we to respond or relate to it? So the first point that I want to bring out to you is God's design for the government and his sovereignty. God's design for the government and his sovereignty. His first point that I want to bring out to you. Civil government is a means ordained by God for ruling and maintaining order in communities. It is a means ordained by God. And it is one of many such means. Other means would include ministers in the church and parents at home, just as pastors provide spiritual guidance, oversight at church, making sure that there is a spiritual order right, at church. And just as parents take care of the household at home, 
the government is functioning to set regulations and laws for the society. So it is ordained by God in that sense. And each of these uh, institutions has its own sphere of authority under Christ who rules and sustains creation. But has the limits are there for each one. So there's a limit to what the church can do. There's a sphere of influence and authority for a school, sphere of authority for home, a sphere of uh, authority and limit to the government, what they can do. They are not, you know, none has limitless power and authority. Only God does through Christ Jesus. So in our fallen world, these authorities are institutions of God's common grace. The grace of God, the gracious and the goodness of God that is readily available to all the people, whether they are Christians or not. The fact that we have, in season, received rain or have sun, it doesn't matter whether you are Christians or not Christians, right? God brings things that we truly need. And that is common grace. That is God, out of his graciousness and goodness, he gives to all people. God sustains people in many different ways. Allows people to breathe in and out and still survive in certain situations. So we call that God's common grace. And so the government as a means of God's common grace to human race. Um, it stands as a safeguard against anarchy and the disintegration of ordered society. So that's why the government is there for, and God has ordained it so that, that the human government can be there, so that there won't be a complete uh, demolition or just annihilation of uh, civil, uh, civilization in this world. Authority established among men uh, depends on God for its, uh, for its existence. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, says this. Paul, Apostle Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. That's what uh, also Paul says. And in this passage, that's what Peter, say, Peter says. Right? It's not like they got together and they're, oh, what are we going to talk about this? But as they were under the inspiration of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, they independently viewed the government authorities as something that has been instituted by God. It is the will of God that the government exists. Though people, human beings, devise a political system and they clamor for vote or even scheme for vote, uh, voter suppression and all these things, in the end, we have to understand that it is God who determines who takes the office. 
four years ago, just about all the pundits, political pundits, pollsters, predicted that Hillary would crush Trump and win. But look what happened. People can talk, take polls all they want, but in the end, who came into office, it was determined by God. Whether people like it or not, that was the will of God. We as citizens, yeah, we should vote. But in the end, God will determine the outcome and the future course of our nation. He is the final authority and reigns over secular government. Even in the Old Testament time, God is the one who raised Babylon to bring judgment upon Israel, God's chosen people. But God raised Babylon out of nowhere from the east, raised up this powerful nation, and then brought judgment upon Israel. While Israel was thinking, oh, we are God's people, there is no way this godless nation will come upon us and bring us down because we have God with us. God the Almighty, God Almighty is with us. And yet because of her disobedience, God judged Israel by raising Babylon. And after a time, God also judged Babylon for her wickedness as well because of their uh, you know, uh, godlessness. Also, Babylon was judged by another nation. See, every rise and fall of nations is orchestrated by God. And He alone determines the fate of each nation, each society. God wills some to prosper and others to struggle (coughs) according to His sovereign plan. United States may be the most powerful nation uh, at the moment, but that does not mean that it will remain so forever. When the time comes, when the purpose of God is there, there may be a demise. I know this is not a very uh, positive outlook, or may say, man, you are so anti-patriotic, but no, I'm just saying that everything is in the hands of God. Uh, Westminster Confession explains a sphere of civil government like this. God, the Supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end, hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. Civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So once again, even in the Westminster Confession, it recognizes that it is still ordained by God. And yet, the government doesn't have power over the the keys of the kingdom but it does have the power of the sword. 
um, because, uh, because a civil government exists for the welfare of the whole society, God gives it the power of the sword, the lawful use of force to administer just laws. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 4 says this. As Paul uh, explains all this, he says, For he is God's servant for your good. It's talking about uh, the governing authority. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we have to understand that God would use, whether they are, uh, the, the civil government is Christian or not, and obviously they are not, but even still with that, that God still uses the government to bring justice, law, and order. We as Christians must acknowledge this as part of God's order. And a government may you know, even collect taxes, for the services that it renders. When Jesus was, Jesus was asked the question, right, hey, Jesus, so should we, in Matthew chapter 22, right, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You know, they wanted to kind of trap him, right? Uh, because they, the, the, the Jewish people at the time were, you know, they just uh, hated the godless, you know, pagan Romans that were kind of, they're the foreign occupying force. So if Jesus were to say, yeah, pay taxes, they would say, wow, you know, what about God? You are being against God. Or if he said, don't pay taxes, then they say, oh, we got him, right? Let's report to the authorities, the Roman authorities, that he's like anti-government. But what Jesus, how he answered it is, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and render to God what belongs to God. So even Jesus himself said, recognized as godless and, uh, as, and pagan as Roman uh, forces were, they were occupying Israel at the time, but rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, what belongs to him. Jesus himself recognizes the godless government and yet give respect. Because once again, it was in the ordained by God's will. Now, the second point, uh, so that's, that's something that we have to understand about the government. The second point is then our response. Now that we know this, how are we to respond? And we come to uh, today's passage. And up to this point in 1 Peter, Peter has explained that the believers were to live holy lives, understanding their status as God's chosen people. And um, as believers who have received God's mercy, in uh, verse 10, you know, we ought to live worthy of our calling, revealing our identity. Yes, he says, we are sojourners. Right? We're the pilgrims in this world. We don't truly belong here because our heavenly citizenship is in heaven. And yet, and yet, we have to still live a holy life reflecting the glory of God in our daily lives. And so in today's passage that we just read, Peter urges us to be subject, subject to and submit to every human institution, whether or not the persons exercising the authority 
are Christians, right? In verse 13, be subject for, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Be subject to them. The recognition of a pro, uh, properly constituted authority is necessary for the greatest good of the largest number of people. And it is necessary to fulfill the will of God in the world because it is ordained by God. It is the will of God. So when we disobey a human institution, we disobey God who ordained this system of human government. God is honored when we accept and respect those in authority over us. You know, it's just like, um, like Star Wars, right? Uh, or like Kung Fu Panda or something, you know, like a student, right? Uh, they honor their master. And when they do that, there is an honor for that. Peter is ex exhorting us to do this for the Lord's sake. Not for our sake, but for the Lord's sake. A person should submit to government in recognition of God's, God's design and because being a good citizen will commend Christ to other people. Being bad citizens will not bring honor and glory to God. You know, what is really striking is that when Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, guess who the emperor was? It was Nero. If you know anything about Emperor Nero, he was one cruel, brutal, godless person who ruled from A.D. 54 to 68. And he was especially harsh against the Christians, persecuting them, putting the, the Christians, you know, in a coliseum and, and, you know, so they can be eaten by hungry lions. And yet, Peter still sees the state as appointed by God for the order in the society. It's not like Peter wrote this letter when the emperor championed the cause of the religious freedom. Far from it. Severe persecution. And yet, he says, Sub be subject to the authority. Same thing with Paul when he wrote Romans. He was imprisoned. He was eventually executed by the Roman government. But and yet, he himself was to recognize the hand of God in all this. Be subject to the authorities. Having said all this, however, our obedience must, must never be in violation of the law of God. Because over the, over the human government, our final authority is God and His truth and His will. If the government forbids what God requires or requires what God forbids, then Christians cannot submit. And some form of, some form of civil disobedience becomes valid. It is necessary at times if they are forcing us to do certain things that we are not supposed to do as people of God. So, you know, Peter himself, right, after uh, he wrote all this, 
But what did he do in Acts chapter 4 and 5? He went out after the the Pentecost. He started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the the Jewish authorities, they they got alarmed that they they captured him, you know, uh, Peter and John, and they uh, beat him up and said, don't you, you know, they threatened him and said, you know, don't, don't speak this about Jesus, right? But even with that, the, the, the governing authority said, don't preach the gospel. To that, you know, Peter said, you decide whether we should obey man or obey God. So even he, Peter himself, disobeyed the, the anti-biblical command, right? The threaten, uh, threat uh, from the, the government. So there are occasions where we, don't, we are not under the, the authority of the government when it's calling us, uh, telling us to do something, something, something that is against the scripture and against the will of God. God is the ultimate authority, not human institution. But in most cases, in our daily life, it is, desi- it is desirable for us to live according to the law of our land. Our submission allows us to continue to spread the gospel freely. In Timothy, Paul says, live a quiet life. You know, trying to be, pe- at pe- at pe- uh, trying to be at peace with as many people as possible, certainly including the, the government. Right. If you are to be persecuted, it should be only because we are obeying God. That is the only reason why we should face persecution from the government, not for other things. Peter himself would later be put to death for his faith rather than recognizing Nero as the ultimate authority. He says, yes, honor the emperor, but not to the point of honoring God. Submission to the authorities also has another aspect to it. It counters false charges made against the Christians and therefore commends the gospel to unbelievers. In verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God. So that the ignorant people will not bring, uh, just, you know, people who don't know any better will bring charges against uh, against the Christians when we are being submissive, being good citizens. If the Christians are caught with tax evasion or breaking the law, that cannot be a good witness. The gospel is hindered when we are often rebellious. At every turn, we say, no, no, no. Right? We must aim to be above the slanders or suspicions of the ignorant. So that is our response that God is calling for. This is the will of God. Once again, we have to qual- uh, you know, qualify it by saying, as long as it is not against the, the scripture and the revealed will of God, that we are to submit to the governing authorities. And the last point that I want to bring out here in this passage is Christian freedom. Peter goes on to talk about this topic. When it comes to our response to the governing authorities that we need to be mindful of is our understanding 
of freedom. Doesn't being so submissive to the authorities invite government overreach and threaten our liberty? You know, I don't really want the secular government to infringe upon my rights and my freedom. And that's what a lot of people may say, or Christians would uh, argue. People love the idea of freedom, right? I mean, you see the Gaxton uh, flag, right? The don't tread on me, right? The, the, the depicting a rattlesnake uh, license plate everywhere. You know, don't you dare step on me. Don't you tread on me, right? You know, don't come near me, right? This is my sphere. It's my, my right. However, so people think of freedom in that sense. However, Christian freedom is entirely different than what people consider freedom. Christian freedom is the liberty to live as servants of God, fulfilling His will. That is our liberty. That is our freedom. When, we talk with the, when the Bible talks about freedom, it is a freedom for us to live as God's servants. We are free now to serve God. That is our freedom. It is not the license to please yourself or to sin under the guise or pretext of permissiveness. In verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, our freedom rests not on escape from service, but rather on a change of our master. The secular understanding of freedom is, hey, when we say we are free, it means there is no one above me, right? I am my own master. That's what freedom is. You are escaping yourself from the, from the, the service of anybody else, whether it is government or anything, any authority figure in your life. Be, be free from it. That is freedom. That's what the world tells us. But, uh, but scripturally, no. The true freedom is that from being a slave to sin, now we are being slaves to God, the servant of God. We are being from slaves to sin, being slaves to righteousness. That is our freedom. Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says this, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You see, Paul says that our freedom, when we are set free, yeah, hallelujah, right? Jesus set us free. Now we can't just live our lives any way we want? No, right? Because the reality is, spiritual reality is, from we were, because, we were the, the servant and the slaves of sin, we could not help but we are actually under the crushing weight of sin that we cannot help us in every inclination, every thought, every motive, every word, every action that we took was under the, we were slave. We were enslaved by sin, wickedness, wretchedness. But now Jesus has come and set us free through his death and his sacrifice. 
So when we say we are set free, hallelujah, you know, Jesus set us free, doesn't mean that, wow, now we just uh, took away the yoke of slavery, so now we can just, like, go out there on our own, just like, you know, like a, 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 uh, like a horse that, you know, the saddle is taken off and then just go out in the wild and just running around like, you know, there is no tomorrow. That's not our understanding of freedom. Now it is a, from becoming a slave to sin, now we are slaves to God. We are servants of God. Now we are called. Now that we are set free from the, the slavery, the yoke of slavery, now we are, free. we are set free to serve God. We are set free to love God. That's what freedom is. That is Christian freedom. Our liberty now is to live as servants of God. It's a change of master. And our freedom should not be used as an excuse for rebellion against constituted authority, but freely submit to God and to earthly authorities. That is our freedom. And in verse 17, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It says, uh, uh, honor everyone, I think in this context, means to respect all those in positions of authority. You may, like the, you may not like the person, but we still have to respect the, uh, the office because that is instituted by God. It is the will of God that has put that person in a position of power for a time. The church has the responsibility to comment on the morality of the government. That we can certainly do, right? And the policies based on God's word. If, let's say, the public school system implements a curriculum that teaches and promotes things that are not against, or that are against the teachings of the Bible, then we have a responsibility as a church to say it is wrong, say it is unbiblical. When, you know, a student who was born one sex and says, you know what, I don't feel like I'm a boy. I'm a girl, so I'm going to go into girls' locker room. And if the, the, the school system allows it, right, then we have an obligation to say that it's not right, right. But we don't have the power to set policies. We don't dictate how they set the policies. But we can comment on that, whether it is biblical or not. Now, Oh, here we go. So now, if you feel very strong about certain issues, then you may certainly take political actions, but, but, but you act upon it in your capacity as citizens, not as representatives of the church. Does that make sense? That there has to be a separation. When you want to just, you know, you, you feel so passionate about certain cause, right? that you can do so as individuals, but you do so as a citizen of this country, not as a representative of the church. That's why, you know, I mean, even the, 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 the Constitution says, you know, um, that the separation of churches, but even before that, right, um, that we are to, yeah, we, we do not, we, when it comes to the government doesn't have 
the final say in the, the implement or, or the, how we are to speak the word of God uh, or the sacraments, right? So if you feel strongly about that, then you can do so, but not as a representative of the church, but as a citizen, right? I know there are Christians who would disagree with me here, but I believe in this way the gospel works through moral, moral persuasion and separates our involvement as citizens. I know there are people that will say, no, 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 no. As Christians, we have to, as a church, we have to get involved. So I know there are differing views on this. Um, but I think that's, uh, that's how, how, we can, uh, how we are to understand and how we are to relate when it comes to this. Now, uh, one last thing is um, then what about this election? How are we to vote? I'm certainly not going to tell you who to vote or whatever, right? Um, I know uh, Pastor John Piper wrote a, uh, an article about that, and uh, he certainly, you know, prefaced it by saying, you know, I am not going to influence you or tell you how to vote in any way, right? But as for him, right, personally, he cannot in good conscience, right, vote for either candidate for their, um, you know, just the, just the, the self-exalting pride from the one uh, you know, candidate and then for another candidate, really just like promoting uh, anti-biblical values and say, he just can't, right? And for that, he received so much like criticism from the both sides, from both sides of the island, the Christians on both sides. How could you say that? How could you not vote? So then how are we to, so that, that was one thing that he said he would do, right? right. If you feel uncomfortable, you can write and make, a, make a, a statement. But one thing that I would say is this, is to vote for others. Vote for others, not for yourself. I, I'm not going to say this one person I know, um, not from this church, certainly, not from this church. He said, I'm going to vote for this person because this person will be favorable to my tax situ situation. Like for my economic or financial prosperity, I'm going to, because of my, how, the way he's going to do it, I'm going to benefit the most if he becomes president. So he said he would vote for him because how that's going to make his uh, economic situation much better, right? Don't ask, you know, how is my tax situation going to change? How will my prosperity be affected by this candidate or that candidate? That should not be the deciding factor for who you vote for. If you want to vote, then you should think about and pray about how would other people benefit from this. Not for yourself, but vote for other people. How would each candidate, how, what kind of policy, what they will do, how will it really benefit the most people? So you, are, you will want to think about issues, right? The others, who, you know, that you have to definitely, you know, think about different types of people, right? has many different implications. So about the unborn babies, or even like the how the asylum seekers will be treated, 
the immigrants, how they will be treated, gender issues, the growing children, how they will be treated, how it will affect them, how about the caring for the vulnerable, the elderly, the people who are the, the, the pariahs of that society, how will they be affected if one or the other candidate becomes president? So you have to think through all those things. It's not easy, so that's why it's not one, you know, it's, it's not that simple. So we have to think through all these things. But the concern has to be about how will people, other people, be affected by this? Not so much, I'm going to vote for this candidate because it's going to benefit me, right? And vote prayerfully. But let's not pin our hopes for a nation on a political process or one particular political party. God is not Democrat or Dem uh, Republican. The flourishing of this nation does not depend on either candidate. It rests on God. So as we you know, go through this crazy cycle, right, may we just come to a you know, well-grounded and biblically-based understanding of how we are to relate to the government, how we are to be involved, but then where we should really place our hope on may be on God and God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, at this time. Lord, it's, uh, it's been pretty mind-boggling, Lord, to see just uh, the fervor and uh, a lot of things, the mis uh, misinformation that is just flying everywhere, accusations everywhere. And it can, we can feel discouraged at times, feel torn. But lead us, Lord, back to you. Help us once again see that you are in control of all things. Even this messy political process. Allow us to understand that you, in, in the midst of all this, that you have willed, you have purposed, this, that we are to submit to the authorities. Lord, help us to do our part as citizens, but help us to also understand that ultimately our hope rests on you and you alone, not on either candidate or who the Supreme Court justice may be, it is you that draw us closer to you. And Lord, we do also pray for those of us who are suffering, having a hard time. We especially lift up Olivia's uh, mom as she's uh, trying to be stabilized enough to, to go through a surgery, Lord. We pray for your presence upon the concerned family. And we pray that, that miraculously, Lord, and that you, by your mercy, that you would um, work through the surgeons, that she'll be able to recover. And we also pray for a brother whose um, father is, uh, who has cancer. Pray that you would also just watch over him. And there are many of us who are still grieving there are people, some of us who are still looking for work, a lot of immediate and pressing needs that we have. 
We lay them all in your hands. We lay them down before you. Lord, have mercy. Let your glory be shine. Uh, let your glory just shine forth, and draw us closer to you, to be your people. And we thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.